0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. We are closing in on the start of the 2021 NFL season, and we are going around the NFC West and kind of get an idea of what some of our rivals have done in the offseason. And today we are talking Arizona Cardinals. Joining me to talk about it is Johnny Venerable from the Revenge of the Birds podcast. He's also staff writer there over at the Cardinals SB Nation website. Johnny, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Brandon, thanks for having me. Excited to talk ball with you.
0: Oh, I'm excited to talk ball because it's it's almost the start of the season. It's almost here. I know
1: it. Yeah, it's uh, been one of the longer off seasons, it feels like, in, in recent memory. But fortunate to get football a little earlier this year. And, and with uh, preseason games back, I think we'd all take that over, of course, what went on last year. So
0: excited. Yes, that made last season that much longer because we didn't even have preseason to, to try and enjoy to help us ramp up toward the regular season. Now, we're minus one game in the preseason. I know the Seahawks are going to have a uh, kind of a mock game and they're going to have it at Lumen Field. Uh, what, what have the Cardinals got planned for this preseason?
1: I, I know they've got uh, the Cowboys on national TV. They typically play the Denver Broncos. Um, so I think that they're going to benefit a lot because there were several fringe players last year that they ended up having to just kind of stash on their 53 man that didn't have a clearly defined role, but would have really benefited from a preseason. So a team like the Cardinals who feel like they've got a really complete roster need to square away, not necessarily a couple position, uh, battles, but more so the the guys on the back end of the roster that people are high on, like an Eno Benjamin, Somebody who, you know, pre-draft last year um, got a lot of pub, of course, being a local kid. He's somebody I think a lot of Cardinal fans are anxious to see finally get an opportunity in the preseason.
0: Are there any other guys that you look at and say this is this is someone who is poised for that year two jump?
1: Uh, I would say, I mean, it has to be Isaiah Simmons, right? The eighth overall pick from the 2020 draft who really had himself a disservice last year when he was drafted by the Cardinals. The last time they had gotten their hands on him, of course, was in February during the combine, and then they didn't see him in person until training camp in the fall, and so I think a lot can be attributed to his slow start last year because he he didn't really have enough on-the-field work. Now he's been entrenched as a starter this entire offseason. I think he's somebody by default that you have to look at and say, he's going to have a really productive year, too, under defensive coordinator Vance Joseph.
0: He was one of the guys, Johnny. He was one of the guys when the, the, I just, you know, there's certain players coming out of college where you say, I don't want that guy in the division. And Isaiah Simmons was that guy for me.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think the Seahawks saw firsthand in the overtime game at State Farm. Yeah. You don't need to bring that up. No. (laughs) Russell Wilson. (laughs) He was their best line, not their most athletic. He was their most productive best Inside linebacker last year over the incumbent starters of um, De- Devondre Campbell, who has since left as a free agent, and then Jordan Hicks, who is set to lose his starting job already to, to rookie first rounder Xavier Collins. But Simmons, every time he was on the field, splash plays. I think he sacked Russell Wilson in the game at Seattle that the Cardinals inevitably lost, tackles for loss, but they only played him like 40% of the time. They just didn't have a plan for him. I thought that, I think they thought that it would be easier to pick up than what it was. And then we see how vital these OTAs are and mini camp and rookie mini camp. And then you combine that with the fact that, yes, he was super dynamic buckets award winner at Clemson, but he played a lot of different positions. That was the kind of the knock on him was where is his position at the next level? Well, the Cardinals are saying he's a three down inside linebacker as a four, three inside backer, but he played defensive end. he played corner. He played safety. Yes. He played linebacker. And so that transition, I think, was greater than people expected because he is not your bread-and-butter guy coming out of, let's say, Alabama who's groomed for his inside linebacker role day one in the NFL. And then you combine that with absolutely no on-field offseason, it was kind of the perfect storm. But, you know, the Cardinals did did themselves no favors, not wading through a lot of his rookie mistakes. And who knows, if they had played him – 16 games last year, they might have been a playoff team.
0: So you have him, just a really tall, big guy, athletic, plays multiple spots. And then you get Collins in the first round this year yeah. in the 2021 draft. And another big guy, I think he's six five. And so mm-hmm. how are you feeling just about that front seven then having, you know, two really athletic linebackers?
1: Well, I we compare a lot what Steve Kime, their general manager, has done at that position to what had gone on so many years in San Francisco with Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. But I think to a greater extent now, more recently, what he's seen from KJ Wright and of course, Bobby Wagner in Seattle. And he has desperately tried to fill this role so many different off seasons. And so I think the Simmons pick going back, he was infatuated with Simmons. I think Collins, yes, they liked him pre-draft and I think he was best player available at pick 16 But, you know, they had their eyes on, you know, multiple corners that went ahead of them, uh, a couple different tackles, a couple different receivers. And so this draft in particular, the board was very much picked clean, but I think they were very content and happy with Collins. And and you mentioned it. Now to be able to pair him with Simmons on the inside, it's unlike any combination in recent memory. It's certainly that I can remember in the NFL where you've got these two top 16 picks that are over 6'4", that are supremely athletic, physically gifted. And, you know, it just shows you everything they learned from last year. I mean, literally, the press conference after they drafted Collins, they came out and said, this guy is not red He's going to be an impact player. And they've since stated that he's going to start over Jordan Hicks. This is Xavier Collins, who has not played it down yet. And they've given him the starting job. That's how high they are on him. So I think for better or worse, they're going to live and die with these two. And they should. I mean, they put all their chips into this basket. And then you talk about the front seven. As a whole, we'll get to Chandler Jones, I'm sure. But then they bring back Marcus Golden on a two-year contract extension. And then the defensive line has, has very much been reworked over the last two offseasons. They brought in Jordan Phillips last offseason. This year, of course, the big ticket item was J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt, who's going to help both on and off the field from an accountability standpoint. So if they do not have success this year, it will be despite having what I think is one of the more talented front sevens in pro football.
0: Well, you mentioned Chandler Jones there, and we heard recently that he is potentially requesting a trade, and there's been kind of whispers of this, I feel like, throughout the offseason, and I don't know if it goes all the way back to the J.J. Watt signing, but do you think there was something to that that, that uh, I don't know, that, that bothered him in a way that he needed help or that he just has another, is is J.J.'s contract bigger than his? What's going on with Chandler Jones?
1: Yeah. Chandler had one of the best seasons in, in recent memory for any pass rusher in 2019 had 19 sacks was sniffing around this single season sack record. And by all accounts was, was due for another big time extension. If you remember when the Cardinals acquired him in 2016, right after that season, they extended him. And so he's coming up now at the end of that deal. He's got one year left on his contract It's just over 15 million. It's got no guaranteed money left, but the Cardinals are going to pay him for his services this year and then last year, through five games, number one doesn't, doesn't look like himself. Has one sack. The pressures aren't there. And then in week five against the Jets, tears his bicep. He's out for the season. The Cardinals go on to finish top four in sacks. They get production from a bunch of different places, including Hassan Reddick. They go into this offseason. Chandler looks like you know he's returned to form a little bit. But then you mentioned, of course, the big money deal to J.J. Watt. I think more of a recent example that resonates is, the increased money they gave to DeAndre Hopkins, um, who's who's not the same age, but he's 28, 29. Chandler Jones is 31 this year. So Chandler Jones wants more guaranteed money. It's not an indictment on the Cardinals. He has no problem and wants to be in Arizona. He likes his defensive coordinator. By all accounts, he likes Cliff Kingsbury. He's very close with J.J. Watt uh, and Buda Baker and a lot of the core players. He just wants some some comfort beyond 2020, and I get that. But I also feel like it was kind of the perfect storm for the Cardinals to be able to say, "Let's see how you're doing. You didn't look like yourself last year before you got hurt. Play on this one-year deal. Worst-case scenario, we can franchise you. Best-case scenario for for you, we're going to give you big-time guaranteed money again, or we're going to let you hit free agency." And I've compared it very much to what happened with Demarcus Ware and the end of his tenure in Dallas, where he was allowed to reach the free agent market at the age of 32. That, of course, will be Chandler if the Cardinals allow him to test the market. There is no scenario that they're going to trade him before the season unless it's a blockbuster player-for-player trade that makes the Cardinals better at a different position, a la, you know, Xavier Howard from Miami. The Cardinals are in a desperation point within their entire organization this year to win games. They're not going to get better by trading Chandler Jones to an AFC contender like Baltimore or Buffalo or Kansas city. That's going to net them a late second rounder next April. Um, I I just think there's too much on the line. Chandler Jones showed up for media day last month. So this has kind of been known for a while. He missed all of OTAs and mini camp. The team knew he was going to be absent, but he came in, he recorded all of his stuff for media day. That's why the team expects him to show up. I think this is going to be a non-story in about 7 to 10 days. We're going to get a really nice, the Cardinals hope, a bounce-back season from Chandler, and then they're going to assess it in the offseason. But uh, requesting a trade now or leaking it out that they wanted to trade, which is more so what's happening, is irrelevant because the offseason has come and gone. The Cardinals had a window if they wanted to deal him and then thus pivoted, like we mentioned, the first round of the draft, taking a quiddy pay or somebody like that. They did. They need Chandler Jones to coincide with the rest of their moves that signify win now. Rodney Hudson, A.J. Green, Malcolm Butler, J.J. Watt. You'll bring in a bunch of 30-plus-year-old players to then trade one of your best, if not the best player, over 30 on your roster. So right. it's, it's a non-headline for people who follow the team,
0: honestly. But between Chandler Jones and Aaron Donald, I don't think that there's any players who have sacked Russell Wilson more, so you should probably just <laughs> go ahead and trade Chandler Jones.
1: I would be 100% on board with trading Chandler Jones if we would have gotten the guarantee that Russell Wilson had all also been dealt out of the division <laughs> like it was supposed to happen last March. But since that didn't happen, I can't help you there.
0: Yes, Johnny, it has been a pretty common theme that all of our NFC West rivals were really hoping that was going to happen, even though we all know it wasn't really going to happen. So all right, JJ Watt, AJ Green, Rodney Hudson, some big names joining the Cardinals this season. Who are Cardinals fans most excited about? We'll talk about that next. I'm joined by Johnny Venerable from Revenge of the Birds, the Cardinals site on our SB Nation network. And we are talking about the big free agent additions for Arizona this offseason. Johnny, who are you most excited about watching this season?
1: Uh, You know, I think by default, I have to say JJ Watt. And, and listen, he has done everything you want on and off the field. So far, he has been the, the glue guy that they have been missing, bringing teammates together. He's all in with his, with his teammates. Right. But in terms of production, they brought in a player that right now is better at his position than what that's Rodney Hudson. They went out and traded a third round pick. The Seahawks know this when when the Raiders opted to gut their offensive line for no particular reason, the Seahawks were, were gifted Gabe Jackson. The Cardinals were gifted Rodney Hudson. Rodney yeah. Hudson is still a top three center in the NFL. The Cardinals go from having one of the worst center situations last year with Mason Cole to having a bona fide stud All pro at the position that can utilize the aforementioned Aaron Donald to some degree. And so while everybody's excited for J.J. Watt, I do think he, he's going to help, especially if he plays you know, 13, 14 games. The presence of uh, of Rodney Hudson and pairing him with Kyler Murray for the next three plus years, I, I don't think can be uh, overstated how good of an impact that'll make on this franchise.
0: Well, you're also going to be counting on AJ Green having a big season because it sounds like DeAndre Hopkins, you know, maybe threatening retirement so he doesn't <laughs> have to get a COVID shot.
1: Goodness, the Cardinals just love to have these just ridiculous headlines a week <laughs> before camp to rile up an already upset fan base. but. Listen. If you talk to people inside the organization, they feel like they can squeeze every last last ounce of quality football from AJ Green. I'm very skeptical, um, especially when I lean on people who are involved with the Bengals on Twitter. Everything from an advanced metric standpoint says he's probably done. The Cardinals aren't paying him a ton of money. They've allocated, I think, six to seven million over the course of next year. They're going to have some dead money associated to that. It's a one-year contract. But the Cardinals feel like he's going to be the perfect complement to Hopkins. And listen, if he has seven, 800 yards, a couple touchdowns, that's more that they've had in the position opposite Hopkins. So I think that they would take that. I also think this move allows them to move Christian Kirk to the slot, which is his more comfortable position, his more natural role. So again, they have done just such a poor job at developing receivers. They've taken a receiver, get this, in the second round, or used his second round pick to acquire a receiver a la Hopkins every year since 2017. And they really only have Hopkins to show for it. I'm a Kirk fan, but he has not culminated into a thousand-yard receiver like we anticipated. Maybe that comes this year and a year four in a contract year for himself. But as far as AJ Green goes, I have to see it to believe it because everything that I've seen last year, and I know the situation in Cincinnati was not ideal. Would would lead me to believe that hit most of his best football is well behind him.
0: Yeah, I just like the fact that, and and this may bother you when you turn on the TV at any Seahawks game, but when they do the reminder of the Cardinals taking a wide receiver before DK Metcalf yeah, and it's him still being on the board.
1: Yeah, it, you know, and that situation was very easy to see coming because the Cardinals felt like Cliff wanted Andy Isabella. That's that's who you're referencing. Right. For those who don't know, Andy Isabella. A 5'9 receiver from UMass that the Cardinals used. If you remember the Josh Rosen trade, they got a second for Rosen. That's where that pick went. And this kid has been an utter disaster, disappointment. May not make the team this year. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they dealt him for a player or a late-round pick. New England would make a lot of sense, considering he's from that area. They utilize players like him, his skill set. And then DK Metcalf went uh, two picks later, of course, and has become just a phenomenal player for Seattle. And trust me, if they had gotten DK Metcalf, I don't even know if they would have gotten DeAndre Hopkins. They probably would have sniffed around the market, but they certainly wouldn't be in the mix for AJ Green. They certainly wouldn't have drafted Rondell Moore in the second this year. So it's a position like inside linebacker where they're just going to keep throwing things at the board until something sticks. But the Metcalf situation is super depressing because the player that is Isabella has been such a disappointment.
0: Well, they may have picked Rondale Moore ahead of where the Seahawks would have liked to have taken him because they got Dwayne Eskridge in the second round this year. And it sounded like in the press conference, listening to our general manager, John Schneider, that Moore was kind of considered one of those targets that they were looking at.
1: Yeah. And if you look at Moore's game, of course, he did it at a higher level for the University of Purdue. But Moore's game represents what they wanted Isabella's game to be at the next level. Uh, Dynamic can do it all, can go deep, can take handoffs, reverses, play special teams, kind of of jack-of-all-trade. Maybe maybe never will have the quintessential like 1,200-yard receiving season, but gives you a lot from a a bunch of different avenues on the field from scrimmage. And so I just think that his acquisition was kind of the the nail in the coffin for for Isabella having a significant role on the team, uh, especially when you bring in an A.J. Green type of player. So, you know, to your point, I mean, they have options at receiver. Receiver is not a problem if they get somebody, whether it's Kurt Green or more, to step up opposite Hopkins because, goodness, there were just too many instances last year in which the Cardinals would win with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins playing backyard football. And the rest of their passing game really had no semblance of rhythm and consistency. And when teams, to their credit, started doubling Hopkins and you've got Jalen Ramsey's of the world in your own division, the Cardinals offense really, you know, they kind of, you know, Peed the bed down the stretch for the lack of a better term, and that's the reason they didn't make the postseason. They didn't score enough points in the last quarter of the season, and so they're they're going all in with a bunch of new additions, and we'll see how that shakes out.
0: So there, you're, you're talking about a lot of questions at wide receiver. If if none of those work out, or if you know one or two of the guys they they don't show uh, enough to to what the you know the coaching staff and the management's looking for. Is Larry Fitzgerald the fallback plan?
1: You know, listen, by all accounts, the team has said all the right stuff in public. And I get heat consistently when I voice my opinion on this. I mean, Larry's 38 years old. His body let him down last year. And and listen, he had a scary bout with COVID the second half of last year and mm. was, I think, made a comment like getting his will ready. I mean, so that should show you how how real that threat is, even to NFL players. But Cliff Kingsbury's offense is predicated on speed and yards after catch. And Larry has possesses neither of those things anymore. And so to, to bring him back, especially at close to the figure amount that he's got each of the last couple of seasons, which is $11 million uh, that coincides with his, with his Jersey number is a mistake. Um, and especially when you talk about taking away snaps from some of these other guys that you want to see in full de- full-time roles like a Rondell Moore. And then also, Larry Fitzgerald, at best, would probably be your fifth receiver. That, that player on every other roster needs to be able to contribute in other ways, a la special teams, and Larry Fitzgerald's not going to do that.
0: Yeah, so I guess I was I, just more thinking of the A.J. Green signing. If I, I, I suppose if you're looking at that as filling the Larry Fitzgerald role at a discount, but, man, I, I have a hard time thinking that Fitzgerald he wouldn't have played maybe for six. And I, I would just have higher expectations of what Fitz could do in one year versus AJ green.
1: Well, and good teams don't build the roster this way one way or the other, even if the, especially if the Cardinals bring Larry Fitzgerald back um, it's a young man's game. They've got Hopkins. He's their leader of the group. He's their veteran. He's approaching 30. You don't want to get older at that position. That's so predicated on athleticism and speed and being dynamic after the catch. They've come out again and said all the right things. They, they said, we want him here for his presence in the locker room. We want him here for his leadership. We want him here to make catches, contested catches, you know, on third down. But again, if if they had locker room issues last year, they, they fell apart in the second half of the season. Larry was around. I think that if you've got Kyler Murray, who they're poised to pay, you know, generational wealth to in year three, and you're preaching Larry's presence in a locker room with deandre hopkins and now aj green and you got rodney hudson on your roster and dj humphreys like what what are you doing like it larry i love larry but that's not that's not how you win in the nfl right they need to be led by kyler and have some other key leaders on the roster but this is not again and i get heat for this all the time <laughs> but this is not a charity this is not you know there's 53 spots everybody loves
0: larry fitzgerald johnny that's why yeah. you get hate for that this, this is, this is
1: a cap-stricken league. You cannot have these kind of charity roster spots when you're tr- – like everybody's going to get fired this year, GM, coaches, scouts, everybody, if they don't win and make the postseason this year. And so let's take the remaining money that they do have and give it to a player that had 400 yards last year and is 38. I mean, like they're going to sell out games, whether Fitz is there or not. Fans are hungry for – Anything football this fall in every market, I would imagine. They've got a bunch of dynamic young playmakers offensively. I'm super high on their running back core, Chase Edmonds. They're they're still sniffing around Zach Ertz at tight end. They could make a move at tight end here in the next two to four weeks. I love Larry. If Larry wants to come in and take close to the vet minimum and be a contributor, that's that's one thing. But to allocate big time, you know, seven, eight figures again, I just that's a mistake it's not how good teams win and you know they have issues a lot of issues receivers not one of them
0: well you mentioned your quarterback and coming up on the time to get paid is kyler murray the guy that you want to give franchise money to top of the market too because it seems like anytime a quarterback is up for staying with his current team you yeah. pretty much have to pay him a- ahead of what every other quarterback's making
1: yeah Well, listen, this is – I have no doubt that come next offseason or whenever Michael Bidwell has this conversation, if he hasn't already with Kyler Murray, he's going to offer him a check that is in the same validity of Deshaun Watson, certainly not Mahomes' money, but he's going to be in that, that category. By then we're going to have a Josh Allen extension. We're going to have a Lamar Jackson extension. Murray, if he continues to build on what he's done in each of his past two seasons, which Offensive Rookie of the Year, Pro Bowl, I mean, you know, he was not perfect last year. He was not the reason they did not make the postseason last year. He could have played better, of course, at different times during the year, but he's the best quarterback they've ever drafted and developed, and he's on his way to becoming number two all-time within the franchise behind Kurt Warner. And who knows? At this rate, he could, he could surpass Kurt with longevity piece. My biggest concern right now is Kyler Murray is staunchly used to winning games. High school, he didn't lose a game. University of Oklahoma, I think he lost twice. One regular season game, and then he lost maybe in the in the final four, of course, to Alabama. He's come to Arizona. He's done a lot of losing because, I mean, historically, that's what the Arizona Cardinals do. And so while I I think that it's very – I don't know. It's disrespectful for Kyler, I think, because you look at his counterparts, people who who you compare Kyler to in recent drafts: Mahomes and Deshaun and Lamar, and those guys all inherited playoff level rosters. I mean, Houston's gone to hell in a handbasket, but when they inherited that roster, Bill O'Brien was winning games and getting to the postseason with like TJ Yates. They had infrastructures in place. Kyler inherited the worst offense statistically in the NFL of the last 20 years, that 2018 team with, uh, you know, Josh Rosen and Steve Wilkes. And it was a gut job. And they came out and I thought overperformed expectations in 2019. They've grown each of the past two years, but they've still they missed the playoffs. And I think that there's going to be some question marks within the organization about his commitment to the Cardinals. If they crash and burn this year, I still think he ends up sticking around. I don't think he's ever going to go play pro baseball. I don't think the Cardinals like that he talks like that, but I, what choice do they have? They're not in a position where they can make demands of Kyler. I do think that if they clean house this offseason and get rid of the GM and get rid of the head coach, I undoubtedly believe Kyler will be in on all those conversations. Who's the next coach of the Cardinals? Who's, you know, Who's running the franchise decision makers? Are these legitimate people? He's going to lean on his inner circle, his agents, all of that good stuff to make sure the Cardinals aren't messing around because he does not want to waste the peak years of, you know, his winning power, especially when you consider how he plays the game with a lot of athleticism on a franchise that frankly doesn't have their act together. Now, I do think that they put together quality offensive line. This is going to be the best offensive line the Cardinals have had maybe since I've started following the team, certainly of the past 10 to 12 years. They've got some weapons. He's already commended their weapons. I think it's more so, are they buttoned up on the sidelines? Is this the season where we see Cliff Kingsbury elevate himself to a playoff-level coach? If that's not the case, he's going to get replaced, and I think Kyler will be a part of that. But regardless, to answer your first question, they're going to pay him whatever it takes when he opts to take the check from them.
0: You sound pretty certain about this idea that if Kingsbury doesn't make the playoffs, he's out.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, I like Cliff. I don't think he's been a disaster by any stretch. I think a disaster. And I, I like the man off the field was the Steve Wilkes hiring, right? That was a disaster. I watched that team and the, you know, you can argue whether or not Steve Kime should have been allowed to emerge from that dumpster fire, but Cliff to me, I mean, I use the comp with Jason Garrett a lot Jason Garrett was allowed to grow within a franchise and develop, and he made the playoffs a couple times. And nobody look. People laugh at Jason Garrett, but nobody looks at looks at him as an abject failure. People look at Cliff as a as a huge flaming disaster. And Zach Taylor's won, I think, like three games in two years for Cincinnati. Right. The Cardinals went five ten and one after having the number one pick and were very competitive. And this past year they went eight and eight. But the problem was they started I think six and two, six and three, and then they they finished you know, 0-4 in the division down the stretch and route to 8-8. That's why people are on Cliff Kingsbury. They're on Cliff Kingsbury because Kyler Murray's a phenom and they should be able to be in the conversation in the NFC with some of these other teams. But they also play in what I believe is the toughest division that we've seen of the past decade plus in the NFL. If Cliff Kingsbury was in the NFC East or the NFC South or a different division altogether, I think he would have much more of a leash But you cannot, when you're playing against Pete Carroll and Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, Pete Carroll's going to the Hall of Fame, McVay's been to a Super Bowl, so is Kyle Shanahan. All of those teams, all of those head coaches have won at least one playoff game in the last 18 months. And then you've got this guy who was fired by his alma mater. He's a good guy, and I think he does a lot of things well. But this offseason, if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to move off of him, and they're going to have to go big game hunting. Whomever wants to come to Arizona that will bring credibility, you know, the name I consistently throw out there is you got to be able to get a guy that goes toe to toe with these heavyweight coaches in this division. People talk about this division from a personnel standpoint, how elite it is, and they're right, but it's the best coaching division. And Kyle Shanahan, I think, has a lot of flaws, but he, he's still a very good coach. He's, you know, he's NFL coaching royalty with his dad. This is the best coach division I think we've seen outside of Cliff of the last maybe 20 years in the NFL. You have to go and be toe-to-toe with those guys. So you got to go out, in my opinion, and get a Jim Harbaugh or a Doug Peterson who's had success, long-term success in this league. And I just think that unless Cliff proves it this year, he's going to be gone and they're going to have to make that move in part to to please Kyler Murray.
0: Going back to the defense, with the loss of Patrick Peterson this offseason, and, yeah, you bring in Malcolm Butler. I, I don't think that's the same, though. I, I feel like you're probably still getting worse at that position. How are you feeling about the cornerback group going into the season?
1: Outside of of tight end, it is the weakest position on the roster. Um, and I know there's frustration within the fan base of why they didn't do more. They they were in on J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain. They, they wanted to move up if available. Neither of those guys sniffed. The teens, both guys went in the top 10. And in free agency, there there really wasn't a lot of premier cornerback talent available. Um, I I disagree with the notion that Patrick Peterson is an upgrade over Malcolm Butler. Peterson, to me, is on the severe downside of his career based on what we've seen really over the past three years. And he had to call and ask Minnesota to take a flyer on him. He signed a one-year deal. Malcolm Butler has better advanced grades, PFF grades, take that for what you will, over Peterson. And worst case scenario, I believe it's a wash, but I think, of course, Peterson has the name, the gravitas. He just, he is a liability in coverage and he can't tackle now. And so, yeah, he'll have the occasional interception and that's what we'll see on red zone, but he just hasn't been very good lately. The Cardinals have been desperate to, to upgrade at that position but they've done themselves a disservice because they really haven't sunk a lot of supplemental resources at corner because they're too busy trying to find the next hybrid linebacker and receiver and they're missing left and right on those. They did take a corner in 2019 with the 33rd overall pick. Right after Kyler Murray, they took Byron jo- Byron Murphy, excuse me, out of the University of Washington who's come along each of his first two years and he's poised to have a breakout season in year 3 for this franchise. They're high on him. This is his third year under Vance Joseph. He's been predominantly a slot corner. He's going to play outside this year. He's bulked up. He's physical. He's by far their best tackling corner. They are going to go with an all-pressure approach, and they're going to have a bunch of BNC corners on the back end and hope that works out for them. And I don't think it's the worst strategy in the world because they've got two inside backers who both can rush the passer now. Chandler Jones, once he reports, Marcus Golden, J.J. Watt, Jordan Phillips. Got a bunch of young developmental defensive tackles they like. They're going to go with an edge pressure approach. And then, you know, Malcolm Butler can intercept passes. They're leaning on, on Byron Murphy. Don't,
0: don't say that um, around Seahawks fans. Come on. Now, you you <laughs> yeah, tried to I slip probably. that in under my radar. i and it's not cool,
1: but it is, it is absolutely a liability position and they would have taken certain or horn had they been close to available to them. It just didn't fall that way. So I I would imagine that is on the priority list for next off season. Um, But I think they feel confident they can get by also because because they rushed the passer so well last year without Chandler Jones.
0: All right, Johnny, well, let's close this out. What are your expectations for the Arizona Cardinals in 2021? You know, I go back and forth. You
1: know, people call me a hater and I, I cover this team and watch this team as much as anyone I feel like. And our website, revengeofthebirds.com, has the best coverage, I believe, in all of Cardinal fandom, Cardinal nation. Um, I just don't know how they make the postseason this year unless something happens to a division rival and they lose a a key player. Um, I think last year was the year to do it. You got to play the NFC East. San Francisco was a disaster. Seattle had a slow start. The Rams were kind of screwing around at the end of the year with a backup, and you still couldn't make the playoffs. There's no doubt they've upgraded. The roster looks better. You would think consistency with the coaching staff entering year three. This is supposed to be, I always joke around with people. They're like, well, are they going to make the playoffs? If you're in year three of the rebuild and you've got consistency all over the book and you've got a, a rookie quarterback who's popped, who's on year three, we're not talking about are they making the playoffs? We're having expectations like the Bills had last year where can you compete for a Super Bowl? Can you get to the conference title game? That's not the expectation for the Cardinals. And I think that because of that, it underlines the issues at head coach and then within the culture of the Arizona Cardinals and that not be winning. Ever since Bruce Arians left, we've seen him prosper in Tampa since then. He was their magic elixir. And they haven't been able to replicate replicate a winning formula since then. So all of that to say, I think they're somewhere between eight and nine and nine and eight. Whether that's enough to get to the postseason, I don't know. I think they'll be right like they were last year, where they'll be competitive, they'll win games that will surprise people, and they'll lose games that they're not supposed to lose at the end of the day. The division is just too deep and dominant for them, I believe, to have sustained success that leads to a postseason berth next year.
0: He's Johnny Venerable. You can follow him on Twitter, at Johnny Venerable. Check out the Revenge of the Birds podcast and also – our co SB nation site over there for the Cardinals, Johnny really appreciate you coming on and previewing the or recapping the Cardinals offseason.
1: Appreciate you having me. Good luck this year.
0: And there it is a big thanks to Johnny venerable for helping close out our look at our NFC West rivals. And we are getting into the preseason Day one of training camp, we have a live stream, an open thread that you can look through up at fieldgoals.com. News, notes, and highlights. Stan Taylor has that posted up there as well. Of course, the biggest news of the day was that Seahawks draft pick Dwayne Eskridge was placed on the PUP list, the physically unable to perform list, along with Travis Homer. But we will have to wait and see if that means any significant time lost in the preseason. Also, check out Tyler's countdown of the Seahawks with the most impact. He is all the way up to number 26. Check that out, fieldgoals.com. I will be back later this week, probably recapping some of the press conferences that we hear from Pete Carroll and others who are up on the podium. So stay tuned for that. And until then, go Hawks.